Welcome to the Health Leaders Finance Podcast. I'm Jack O'Brien, Finance Editor for Health Leaders. My guest today is Haley Hovius, President of the Nashville Healthcare Council. Haley, thank you for joining me today. Jack, thanks so much for having me. This is a great opportunity, um, and it's nice to be able to do these things virtually these days. Absolutely. We appreciate your insights, and we really look forward to this conversation. And we really want to focus it on the fact that as we head into the fall, health systems across the country are still combating the spread of the virus and also preparing for a potential second surge in cases, which we're already starting to see in several states and cities. This problem is only further compounded by the beginning of flu season, which typically lasts from October until March and could create another strain on an already challenged healthcare system. In order to properly mitigate these issues, hospital executives must look to address vulnerabilities in their supply chain operations, create safeguards for frontline clinical staffers, and preserve as much capital as possible. So with that in mind, I wanted to start our conversation there. And Haley, I know that you've spoken with healthcare finance leaders in the past few weeks. I'm curious, what are some of the top issues that they've identified that they're focusing on heading into the fall? And what are some action items or strategies that they've put into place to mitigate some of these challenges? Absolutely. And I think here it might help to have a little context on the Nashville healthcare industry um, and what that looks like. Nashville is really home to a lot of the large health systems in the country. So um, nearly one in five hospital beds is managed by a company that is headquartered here in Nashville. Um, health systems such as HCA, LifePoint Health, CHS, um, all have their home here. So when you think about Nashville, you're thinking about a lot of really large healthcare providers. In addition, we do have a major academic medical center here, Vanderbilt University. Um, we also have a number of these health systems that focus either on urban or rural, rural areas. So you might be seeing within this, um, my bias for some of these large health systems because what they've been able to do with scale can be slightly different, although I think that actually really helps because they have operations all over the country. So you're not just looking at um, specifically organizations focused on Nashville, but rather organizations that have a footprint all across this country. Um, and with that in mind, I think, you know, one of the big things heading into the fall is what would a second wave look like? You mentioned um, as we head into the fall, we've got schools coming back online in certain areas. Um, you have, uh, whether it's sports, um, Whatever it looks like as the weather gets cold, you're gonna be, be bringing people indoors also, and that's gonna be another um, another major issue. I think flu is something they're really looking at and what the potential of flu season is gonna really do um, when it comes to volumes, when it comes to being able to manage um, cases within their systems. Um, so I think from an action item strategy standpoint, things that they've looked at have been, how are we going to pace the schedule when we look at elective or scheduled surgeries, depending on how they, these health systems look at it, um, we need, they need to be continuing to do that, I think, early on in the pandemic. Um, by canceling all types of elective or scheduled surgery, you really ran into issues from a lot of, in a lot of perspectives. Um, but obviously, the fact that that means income drops substantially um, is really huge for these finance executives. Um, but as we look ahead, I think that was, you know, the administration at CMS um, and at HHS realized that that was actually a huge problem on a lot of levels. Um, so as they look ahead, I think it's going to be just the making sure that they're pacing to whatever this looks like. The other thing you'll probably be that they're really looking at right now are obviously supply chains. 
which kind of leads into my next question. I appreciate the background specifically about um, the connections to Nashville, but on the topic of supply chain management, I'm really curious about how hospital executives are going about securing PPE and how is this going to, I'm curious from your perspective, or at least the conversations you've been in, how it's supposed to change. I know that a lot of executives I've spoken to have said we've never focused so much on supply chain and reevaluating our processes as we did this year and going forward. So I'm curious from your perspective, yeah. the conversations you're hearing, what have those been like? Yeah, you know, it's really interesting when you talk about supply chain, and it turns out that I probably in another life should, instead of in business school, I should have focused on supply chain because I find it pretty fascinating. In the early days of this pandemic, and I'm sure the people listening on this call will have experienced the same thing, there were some very real concerns about being able to get PPE. I mean, here you are in this tee up. Um, it was just at the end of Chinese New Year. So that actually helps a little bit. You had China had been laying away inventory because they would take a two week a two week break during this time period anyway. So they had a certain amount of inventory put away already. Um, but you have this global pandemic. This, this China itself is shutting down. Um, everyone's needing the same equipment. So even if you had strong supply chains, I think most people were relying on China in a very big way. Um, and when that was gone, there were some very real concerns about the ability to use PPE. The other thing that was happening during this time period is that the early on in this pandemic and that kind of first wave in March, um, people were just using such large amounts. So generally speaking, hospitals could count on the amount of PPE that they would go through on any given day, any given month. It was relatively speaking something that they could easily forecast. And all of a sudden, I, I know some of our health systems were experiencing 7X utilization of PPE that they had not anticipated. So all of a sudden, what looked like it was probably six months of PPE is now two months of PPE. Um, so they were dealing with that. And then um, to top it all off, you had a number of, uh, I, I call it the I got a guy syndrome. So you had a lot of people who would, I, I'd even get calls, you know, people would say, hey, I have this guy and he's going to take his factory and he's going to make and he's going to start making N95 masks. And everyone had that. So if you're if you're a finance executive, if you're a COO, people are now knowing they're going to need this and having to separate the wheat from the chaff on where you can find this stuff was a huge, huge issue. Um, so I've heard amazing stories from some of our CFOs where they were, you know, all of a sudden developing deep relationships with fruit of the loom in China and also filtration groups in China that they were developing their own PPE. Uh, some pretty fun and interesting stories, groups that were really trying to focus and um, make sure they had the best possible PPE and they were literally putting teams on planes to go inspect PPE that was coming in. So. Um, and they needed to because people, a lot of times there were bad actors that were, were giving masks. So I know that there were a lot of investments made in probably substandard merchandise in a lot of different cases. Um, and if you're a CFO that might have had that happen, rest assured you were not alone. There were a number of um, folks that had the same problems uh, throughout this. I think as we look ahead, what I'm starting to hear from these executives is that they are really looking at diversification of their supply chains. Um, if you're not part of a purchasing group, if you're a, you know, a lone hospital, I would 
I would think that at this point in time, you're probably better off to make sure that you're part of a purchasing group that's really thinking about these things. Um, and that diversification coming from not just resource from China, but sourcing from all over the globe. And then also, you know, starting to see some really interesting um, potential partnerships and investments in supply chain domestically as well. Um, it's usually a much higher cost model, but with the acknowledgement that you might have some access to this higher cost equipment and that that is important to mitigate risk and you might just have to take that financial hit, but that that will help ultimately um, as we look ahead. These sound like some really good approaches to the issues that are at hand. And I think it's interesting that you bring up the I know a guy syndrome. I've had a number of conversations <laughs> and one that comes to mind is just a CFO I spoke to uh, from the Midwest. And he was saying that, you know, March and April, he's never had so many random phone calls come through saying, oh, yeah, I, you know, there's a shipment here or something. So obviously trying to avoid that going forward is going to be a huge priority for provider executives, it sounds like, uh, is what you're saying. I absolutely. And I, I think, although I do think that since things have calmed down some, hopefully they've had a chance to make sure that they have developed new relationships with other types of suppliers um, that they can verify and that they can trust and that that will um, allow people to to have a different relationship um, and, and have suppliers in different parts of the world that they're working with um, so that you don't necessarily end up with a shutdown in one place um, affecting affecting us as as much as this one did. You know, I haven't um, talked to people so much about inventory, but my understanding is inventory, also people are expecting to carry more inventory. This idea of just in time is not really working out in a pandemic. So um, that likely some of those policies will change. And just in general, one of the things that has been really interesting is the way in which um, these health systems have gotten very, one thing that they were able to do is if, if you're experiencing 7X utilization, um, a lot of these health systems kind of went in and said, okay, how do we get creative and innovate around how we either reuse, um, share, how, how does this equipment all of a sudden get repurposed so that it's not just a one-time use and we throw it away? I think those types of things eventually um, will catch on anyway, that it's better from a cost savings standpoint, it's better from an environmental standpoint, um, and it, it just makes more sense in general. And I know a lot of the health systems that I've talked to um, have done a lot of work to figure out how they can be creative and feel much better about the way they're actually utilizing the PPE that they have. Yeah, like you said, not only from a financial point of view, but also just from a basic environmental point of view, it's it's probably the most prudent approach. So that's interesting that they're they're doing that. I can say that from our end on our website, the stories that we have about being able to reuse or sanitize or you know decontaminate any of these forms of PPE have always been popular since the pandemic broke out. So I think a lot of a lot of people are like-minded in that way. I kind of wanted to shift gears a little bit. I know we've been talking about the supply chain and more of the the physical equipment aspect, but there's also the concern about having enough money on hand. And obviously through the CARES Act, through the various relief payments that have come from the federal government, a number of hospitals of varying sizes have been able to stay afloat or at least salvage something of their bottom line. But there's a concern coming about what happens when those payments run out? Will there be another stimulus? Obviously, at the time that we're having this conversation, that's very much up in the air. So I'm curious from the conversations you've had, what do they, what do these finance executives assume is going to happen in the future? And how are they preparing for, let's say, a worst case scenario where they don't get additional funding? Yeah, I think, you know, just like all the um, all organizations are these days, 
they're they're looking at how they tighten their belts in different ways. Um, and I think most people do think that this that the stimulus will run out after a certain amount of time. I think where they feel differently about where we are now is that even as we look ahead at different surges and surge levels, um, I think we understand so much more about this virus and how it behaves and the fact that it is very regional. I mean, it's a hyper-regional um, virus in the U.S. in any event. So, you know, you might be getting hit, hit hard in certain markets, but you can kind of offset in other markets, particularly when I'm thinking of like our big health systems here um, that are based in Nashville. Um, they have the ability to do that, to move patients. I think the biggest thing for most of these hospitals, though, is making certain that they are able to um, continue to do the scheduled or the, um, the the scheduled surgeries is what most of them prefer to call them. Um, not all surgeries are purely elective. There are a lot that need to keep happening. And I think that that is something that the administration realizes, that hospitals realize, and that they're really working hard to make sure that patients realize that the hospitals are safe. So ensuring the safety of patients and investing in making sure that patients feel that they can come back to the hospital. And even when there are um, outbreaks still occurring, that they will get quality treatment and be safe when they're there um, is really key for a lot of these hospitals. Uh, we've had several members do surveys around consumer sentiment about returning to returning to their, their healthcare providers. Um, and I think there's the sentiments changed over time so that, you know, early on it was a people were very leery of going back. And I think now, you know, a lot of hospitals were starting to hit not necessarily the volumes that they had anticipated at the beginning of the year, but back up to 80% of those volumes um, and trying to keep those steady over time, even in the midst of some of these um, outbreaks has been key and like how they continue their operations to balance the needs of um, a population that is sick from a pandemic while also balancing the needs of a population that just has the types um, of, of healthcare needs that we've always had. So I think that more and more they're figuring that out. Um, and, you know, the, the PPE moving forward, the executives that I know have said, you know, if that's a limiting, if you consider that a limiting factor in terms of their ability to service patients and do these surgeries, um, that they feel fairly confident that through the fall, even with outbreaks happening, that they'll be able to manage um, patient loads um, even through that. So I think that's probably where a lot of people are just focusing on keeping the the patients coming in and trying to give them the kind of the sense of security about that so that they will keep coming in and having needed surgery truthfully um, and needed procedures. Well that's a good thing to hear too. I know that if you had told any of the executives I've spoken to back in March and April that yeah at some point this year you're going to return to like you said that 80 percent number I think they would have just fallen over they would have been beside themselves being you know saying okay we're going to get back to something somewhat normal so that's that's encouraging i i would say to say the least it's a right it's a it's a brief ray of sunshine and then again it's so regional that it does seem to go you know it depends market by market on how how people are able to do it we're blessed in nashville because we do have so many large health systems so that means that if ppe is running short in one area they're able to deploy PPE from other areas, and they're able to move patients around differently um, in a lot of cases. But um, at the same time, I do think that 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 people are just we're just learning how to manage this so much better. So as they look ahead, that's something that people can be uh, at least more confident about. 
Well, that leads me into my final question. I, I so appreciate your insights and the conversations you've had with leaders. I, I know that our audience appreciates those. I guess just an extension of that, what advice would you pass along to some of these CFOs at health systems? I know you said that there's obviously kind of a bias towards some of the larger ones, just given that you're in the hub of healthcare down there in Nashville. But are there any universal themes or pieces of advice that you think carry over to organizations of different sizes that you would pass along, especially as they go into what could be a really challenging few months? Yeah, you know, I think um, this idea of collaboration that's come out of this, I just, um, we're seeing it here in Nashville, I can tell you, um, beyond the fact that we have these health systems that have these global footprints, we have also, you know, our local health systems that have really come together to collaborate on this stuff. Um, certainly the council that I run, the Nashville Healthcare Council has been connecting and educating the industry um, for the last 25 years. And that's something that, you know, we were doing at the, at the height of this, we were doing weekly COVID update team calls with about 150 different members where we were sharing information and allowing people to talk about things that they were doing in their organizations. Um, and how they were handling the pandemic and to be able to share best practices with each other. Um, those were incredibly valuable and I think they will continue to be incredibly valuable. You know, we, we were also bringing together special interest groups around investors who were trying to figure out, you know, how do we deploy capital during this time period and um, communications departments. I think the, the, the leaders that I've spoken to who have developed a communications routine as we've gotten virtual or been remote or, um, even for workers that are that are actually in hospitals and you're trying to communicate, that has been absolutely critical during this time. So the more that you can make sure you're collaborating, make sure that you're connected to other executives and understanding what's happening, not only can it um, help benefit you from understanding what others might be doing that you could learn from, but it can also help if you, if you need resources. There are opportunities then to, to be able to get those resources occasionally from people that um, can be really beneficial to you and your organization. And I think we've seen that over and over again, um, certainly in, in our part of the country, like being able to, you know, put the person who is, has been heading up our mayor's task force around COVID in touch with the head of health trust purchasing group to say, hey, you know, I'm getting really worried about PPE. What does this look like for us as a city? And how do we look at that? I just, there are so many different examples of where that's been incredibly valuable. Um, and I think that as we continue through this, it will continue to be incredibly valuable. Once again, it's another encouraging trend coming out of all of this. And I know that people have talked about how, oh, the pandemic is putting a lot of different existing trends into motion. But if one can be increased collaboration across healthcare to the benefit of not only the organizations, but certainly the patients as well, that, that can only be beneficial for everybody. So hopefully those conversations that you've been hearing and the advice that you're, the leaders that you speak to have been following, hopefully that continues going forward. I think we can all, we can all sign on with that. Yeah, it's, it's been really inspiring to see how people have been working together. People from that normally would be fierce competitors, really um, being willing to do whatever they can to, to help uh, their cities and other health systems so it's it that's been really exciting to watch um i do think that we have a rougher to head i i don't want to uh, be too sally sunshine about it i think there's just a lot of work ahead of everyone um, and we're not over this yet we're not through it um cfos will also be having to and and health systems in general will have to be looking at how they are going to um, deploy a vaccine when it actually does come in um, and those are some big questions that are still lying out there and um, 
will have a big impact on all of us as we move ahead. Well, maybe when we get to that juncture, whether it's at the end of this year or the start of next year, we can follow up on this conversation and, and see what those challenges will be like. Because like you said, it's, it's something that's so unprecedented it'll be on the table. So maybe we can we can have you on the podcast again. For that. Well, yeah, we'll keep having these conversations. I don't think they'll get old. Absolutely. Well, Haley, I, I've taken up enough of your time. I really do appreciate you being on here. We hope to speak to you again in the future. And as always, just thank you for sharing your insights. They're very valuable to us. Well, Jack, thank you so much for having me. We appreciate all the work Health Leaders does and uh, certainly look forward to talking in the future. Absolutely. Thank you so much. And thank you to our listeners as well for joining us on this episode of the Health Leaders Finance Podcast. Until next time, keep taking care of your patients and each other.